All content discussed on Hypochondriactor are the individual opinions of Dr. Priyanka Wally and Sean Hayes and should not be construed as personalized medical advice. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. My name is Dr. Priyanka Wally, and I'm a licensed and practicing physician who also happens to be a stand-up comedian. And I, of course, am Sean Hayes. I am not a doctor, despite my appearance might lead you to think that. Okay, Dex, 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 you know what? This is, I know you're so used to being a host, but now's your time to relax, okay? You're going to be the guest. Each episode, Sean and I will talk about his medical fears and bring on a guest like Dax with an incredible medical story and discuss the outcome. We'll also play games with Dax and learn a thing or two. I think it's safe to say that I'm not America's first hypochondriac, but I am America's first hypochondriactor. Priyanka, good morning. Hey, good morning, Sean, and a very happy belated birthday to you as well. Oh, well, thank you. And boy, oh boy, did you get me the most gorgeous, gorgeous flowers. Oh, you're most welcome. Did you enjoy your day? By the way, I love how formal we're being. Ah, happy belated (laughs) birthday. Thank you. I got your flowers. Did you enjoy your day? (laughs) Yes, I did very much. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, it was fun. What did we do? We did, I did nothing. I just hung out with uh, my friends and their kids, which is our God kids. And so it was, uh, it was really, really fun. Good. I I ate cake and got fatter. And so here we are. How are you doing? Did you have a good weekend? Yep. I had a great weekend. I visited my nephew. Oh, um, where? In San Diego. Yeah. And he's extremely cute. You know what game we played when I at my birthday was I Wish Everyone Could? Have you ever heard that? No, what's that? I just, you just finished the sentence. I wish everyone could. Mine mine was I wish everyone could be smarter. And that's coming from a really dumb person. Mm. Right? I wish everyone could embrace the human experience for what it is. Ooh. <laughs> that's great. What does that mean? People can't accept. We just can't accept things the way they are. Like we have to keep searching for the next best thing we, you know we make everything bolder and bigger and more beautiful and like we can't just be like we genetically modify everything right like we got it like it's done scotty and i watch a lot of those egypt you know like uh on smithsonian channel like ancient or egypt history ancient stuff? yeah and like how they yeah. build stuff and they wanted bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more and look or- at what happened to them I- <laughs> I mean, do yeah, we well, really want knows. to follow suit? I think about Rome all the time. Rome is a great example. Yeah, and Rome just got bigger and bigger. They were killing it, both literally and figuratively. And now... So what does that mean about us as humans? I think it's part of human nature to have this part of ourselves that's perpetually unhappy. Mm-hmm. I think we're always... Or we're just- wired to want more. I always have this conversation with my therapist, so now you can be my therapist, which mm-hmm. is like, once you got what you wanted, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do? Just hang out? I think it's human nature to want you more. You just create new goals. And yeah, because right. if I wanted an ice cream sandwich and I got an ice cream sandwich, now what? Now, now I got to eat. Now I want dinner. And now right. I want whatever. Which is why like, you'll never get it. Yeah. Like, unless you actively make a choice to be like, all right, 
I accept things the way they are. Right. You'll never actually. But doesn't it give you an excuse to keep going? It gives you purpose, right? You have to create purpose. Of course, like we're in life. This is a game of life and we have to play it. You can't bypass that. And my therapist has always said like people that don't like the game of life, it's usually because they're not very good at playing it. Oh, that's nice. What was your thing? I wish everyone could. Oh, accept the human experience experience for what it is. is. That's boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's so basic of me, right? I'm I'm so basic. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Um, Priyanka, before we get to our guests, can we talk about hemorrhoids? Yes. What a shitty problem to have, huh? (laughs) Uh -uh. Sorry. Okay, so look. Hemorrhoids. I got them. Lots of people got them. They're there, right? Let's just talk about it. That's why we did this podcast. You got to talk about stuff you don't want to talk about. So they're there. They're like an annoying neighbor that comes out to say hi and stays there. And how can you tell when they're there? Like, what do you feel? When you go to the number two and then you know they're there. And also, you know, you check things out in the mirror. Okay, got it. So you can see them externally. Okay, yeah, when you, you first the get them, you, you're like, yeah. what is that? And then you check yourself. And by the way, everybody checks their asshole out in the mirror. Everybody oh, yeah. has. And everybody if you're, has. If you don't, you're a liar. Yeah. You're living in denial. Yeah. Anal denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're a result of kind of IBS, right? And being too, mm-hmm. I'm so impatient as it is. Mm-hmm. So, so like... Stopping for gas to get my car, going to get groceries, doing dishes, uh, going to the bathroom, eating lunch. Like all these things interrupt my day. I want to do too many things and they all get in the way. So going to the bathroom is just another thing that I'm impatient about. I'm super impatient. So so I think that's maybe where where it comes from. Well, just to be clear, you, you'll you go to the bathroom really impatient, so you'll strain really hard yes. to kind of get the job done. Yes, and, so I can keep going. And then, I gotta yeah. go. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay. So I've found, I don't know if this is good or healthy or what I'm going to ask you. Yeah. I've been taking magnesium and it's changed yeah. my life. So Has I take it? like four pills. I don't know how many milligrams. Over the counter, right? Yeah. Magnesium, you can get them at Walgreens or yeah. wherever your pharmacy is. And I take it every single morning. By the way, it not only helps me sleep a little bit better, yeah. but it also, yeah. in the morning, it's like clockwork. The clouds have parted and it just comes yeah. right out. It's a clean getaway, yeah. clean getaway. So that is a well-known kind of therapy. And is it okay to take um, it every day? Magnesium, as long as you don't have like kidney failure or any anything like that, it's stones. safe to take magnesium. And do you ever get diarrhea because sometimes magnesium in super high doses oh okay well then that's great yeah magnesium is great but what about squatting like do you ever use a (laughs) squatting device like squatty potty okay so first of all hip flexion Uh when you flex your hips so either you bend forward you put a stool down or something is that really help that's bs no, no, no. Essentially, when you are in a squatting position, it reduces the angle between your rectum and your anus. So l- literally less straining is required in order to pass a BM. So is this for not, example- This is the best podcast in the world we're talking about. The pooping. traditional Western toilets actually- increase the anorectal angle. Mm-hmm. So it's harder. You actually require more straining on a traditional Western toilet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in places like um, India or Eastern Europe, the, the toilets are actually really low to the ground. So they require you to squat. Uh-huh. And what that does, it actually straightens the recto-anal canal. Right. So you require less pressure. And all hemorrhoids are, are distended or engorged veins in the rectal canal, which are a result of increased straining. So you got you so if you do it enough, you can you have squatter rights. So you can yeah, you have squatter rights in your own bathroom. But I'm telling you, like <laughs> the squatty potty, like every toilet of mine 
has a squatty potty. It's like really essential for like basic ease ease of bowel movements. Wow. Just like, all right, look, it's a stool for your stool. Yeah, I mean, I kind it's kind of like problem solved with magnesium. But look, I'll I'll double whammy it. What if I misheard you and I got like a high chair instead of a squatty potty and I put my legs way, way up? <laughs> All you have to do is bring either your chest. You can even, yeah. if you're in like a public restroom, you can just bend forward uh-huh. and bring your chest to your knees. Anything or that Or maybe you could just do it while you're in the restaurant that you're eating and while you're sitting there. You could just be, <laughs> see if like, what are you doing? Definitely invite me when you do that. And I will call TMZ while I'm there too. That's hilarious. Wait, um, so can you get rid of hemorrhoids or, or why can you get a surgery? or is that not recommended? If it's severe, severe cases, for example, if there's so much engorgement of the veins that eventually they form clots, uh, then sometimes you need surgery to to do that. But Well, if you want to look like a porn star, you got to get the surgery, right? (laughs) If you just want it like really perfect and like your headshot, like that's your headshot. (laughs) Right, right. I wonder if they have little anal headshots as part of their usual (laughs) And then people just autograph them. No, but I'm serious. You should really join the bowel movement yeah. for squatting. I think squatting is an amazing answer to hemorrhoids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of hemorrhoids, <laughs> he's going to. Speaking of a pain in my ass, <laughs> let's move on to our guest. <laughs> Our guest today is one of my besties, and I love him so, so much. He's done it all, and when I say it, I literally mean everything. On the professional side, he's an actor, producer, writer, director, all of those amazing things. You'll hear his voice in the upcoming animated film Paw Patrol, the movie, not to be confused (laughs) with the serial, I guess, or something. And of course, if you really want to listen to his voice for hours on end, you can either check out his hit podcast, Armchair Export, or just call him. Please welcome Dax Shepard, who I love. Hi, Daxel. Yay. Hi, sweetie. So, so isn't it interesting when you hop on? It's like you. I just want to talk right away, but I have to introduce who you are. You want to save it? I want to save it. Save it all. You got a coffee, so you're ready. Just really settled in. We had a hold for you to get a coffee. I heard. <laughs> well, there was more than that, but yeah. I mean, all of it um, totally inexcusable, and I apologize. Oh, but. please. What are we doing? Oh no, no, it's fine. As I I'm get ch- older, my my time management is just it's going getting worse and worse daily. Like I wake up, I'm so much time to get here. Right. You know, I'm in bed journaling. Oh, another hour. I can take my time. Then my restroom duties. Well, that's fine. I'll be in and out of there in five. No. Next thing you know, I'm scrambling to make an oatmeal to get here by 1030. It's embarrassing. <laughs> you know what, though? I, it doesn't matter. It's worth the wait. And you're so sweet to come on today. Yes, now, we were just you. talking about bathroom duties and my hemorrhoids. Have you ever had hemorrhoids or do you? Uh, shockingly, I haven't. I seem to have had everything. Priyanka, yeah, that's how I. I'm sorry, I want yeah. to Dax. Dax Priyanka. Nice to meet you, Dax. Huge. Nice fan. to meet you, Priyanka. I love that name. Oh, thank you. It was actually really popular in India at the time I was born. It's like the Britney of India. Or Mary. Madison of uh, Bombay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of Bombay. Um, um, now, listen, Dax, I, I have to ask you about it because it's. It's what you do and you're successful at it. But I want to talk about Armchair Expert, which is crazy successful. It's Mm -hmm. so huge. You've been doing it for such a long time. Mm -hmm. I think I've asked you this before face-to-face, but I want to ask you, do you ever get, like, how are you feeling about doing it? Is it, is it ever feel like a grind after a while? Are you still, is it still an incredible thrill for you? Hmm. Shockingly, it's, it's the latter. And I, I guess I keep waiting for me to tire of it as we like, 
And I remember when we first started and I would look at Joe Rogan, I'd check out an episode of Joe Rogan. And it would say like episode 1500. And I'd be like, oh my God, how could you do that 1500 times and still care about it? But you know, we're around 350 and I'm on fire for it. Like I just, I, I, I think love because that. there's no, um, as repetitive as it is in, in structure or, or format, because each person is a person, every yeah. single person's novel and interesting. Yeah. And I'm curious about everyone we talk to. And then even, yeah. even with repeat guests, you kind of go in thinking like, well, we already told your life story. Let's see if we can do another 90 minutes of entertaining stuff without your life story. And it's like, oh, we can do that. You know? Yeah, I'm, it's so yeah, cool. Totally. That's how I feel about practicing medicine. You know, you, you see the same types of patients, but it's, it's not boring because everyone's so unique and they have like a very nuanced story. So I love that. And that's why we're doing this together because I'm fascinated with medical stories. Right. Oh, as am I. Are you for real? More in the macabre sense. That's what I, that's what I love the most. (laughs) I have the grossest story I've, I've, I've ever been told. I don't know how gross you get, but my favorite thing to do is to ask ER doctors, what's the <laughs> yes. gnarliest thing you've seen? Yes. That's my hobby. Well, Sean, I didn't know that about you. Oh, my po- You're on the podcast he about it. loves that kind of stuff. We created a podcast <laughs> called Hypochondriactor because I love hearing about that stuff. So, and that's what I want to ask you. I want to get to, uh, you know, as many things as we can uh, that are wrong with you. <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> or that have happened yeah. to you. But I want to know, what, speaking of ER, do you, do you personally have a crazy ER story that's happened to you? You know, I've been going to the ER pretty regularly since I was 12. I started skateboarding and, you know, the, the injuries started piling up Then snowboarding was a thing. Then, then motorcycles are a thing. So yeah, I've, I've been, um, several times and I think it was, I read an interview with Bill Murray years ago and he said, you know, he's, he famously doesn't enjoy being famous, uh, one of his quotes is if you're thinking about becoming rich and famous, I would just try the rich part. Right. Uh, which is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but right. he did say the one time it's great to be famous is when you take your kids to the doctor or yeah. to the emergency room. I right. think he was referencing like South Carolina, taking them to the emergency room. And I will say that is the single best time to potentially be famous and have someone think, oh, you might get hounded in this thing. You get quick treatment, which is yeah. I'm not entitled to. It's not okay. fair. I'm not supporting him. But Fucking A, do I, am I grateful for it when it happens? Which, yeah. which is like a hat this on a hat true. because the ER is already quick treatment. That's why you went to the ER, but then you get to the front of the line at the ER. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know, Sean. I've seen people in the ER that seem to be bleeding out from a gunshot wound, and it looks like they've been there for a while. So, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it, you know, it yeah, depends all right. what night it is, I think, whether they're like in triage mode or you're going to get seen for cutting your finger. Right. Yeah. I want to say, so when you started, you know, skateboarding and falling down and, and snowboarding and falling down and just constantly falling down. See, I skateboarded when I was a kid and I fell down once and I go, okay, well that hurt. So I'm out. Yeah. But, so what is the thing that made you kind of want to keep, because you're very, very a rugged straight man who loves <laughs> to hurt the shit out of himself constantly by doing biking and and all that kind of crazy shit. I think what Sean's trying to ask is, do you actually seek out experiences that are intense? Yeah, whatever she said. <laughs> I a thousand percent do. And I think it's, um, it, it's not a singular catalyst for that. I think there's like, uh, okay, I grew up in a very traumatic uh, household. So I feel comfortable when 
things are going chaotic. I, I, I think I thrive when things are dicey and, you know, the car is got one wheel over the edge of the road and you're still yeah. in the gas and all that. Like I adrenaline. I, yeah. And I also crave deeply anything that requires a hundred percent of my concentration. Most things, there's always a little wiggle room to think about what you got to do next week. But like on a motorcycle track, on a motorcycle, there is zero, zero moment for you to let your mind wander. So you really, yeah. I need something that extreme to force me to be present. Uh, and then probably way more uh, to blame for all this is like not a dad around yeah. Uh, the dudes in my, uh, town, what was, what made you a man? Oh, it was this stuff. Yeah. And I, I figured out kind of quickly that physical pain was a pretty cheap barrier to mm-hmm. beginning approval and being, you know, mm. lauded as a man uh-huh. as a teenager. So I think like it, mm. it just was a fine, uh, risk reward proposition. For yeah. me. And I'm curious, Dax, is boredom something that is intolerable? For you, like, do you go to great lengths to avoid being bored? Is it something that you don't like being susceptible? You want me to answer that for you? <laughs> well, Priyanka, I have in the past thought of myself, because I remember l- learning in a psychology class that in general, risk takers are people with like a very low level of MAO in there chemically. And people yeah. with high MAO can just sit and watch the grass grow and they're entertained by it. Wait, so what's MAO? You're, you're actually, so actually you're describing some of the characteristics of what is known as a high sensation seeking, highly sensitive person, which is from the work of Dr. Tracy Cooper. And um, so, okay, Sean, I, I'll let Priyanka you so, just knocked us out. Uh, Boom, <laughs> reference with the article, with the, with the journal. Yeah, I yeah. know. She's so, she's smart. She's a Okay, smartie. so 20% of the population have a genetic trait called sensory processing sensitivity, which is a characteristic of a highly sensitive person. Highly sensitive people, they tend to have four main kind of traits, if you will. There's a depth of processing. So their brain processes things more deeply than a neurotypical brain. They're usually very easily overstimulated by certain stimuli like loud noise or bright lights. Um, They're highly empathic. So they're very high on the empath. And the last characteristic is that highly sensitive people tend to notice subtleties that other people won't notice. So the kind of classic HSP is you walk into a room and you can just tell something has gone down, even though no one has said anything. Yeah. yeah. That's so yeah, uh, Sean, I think you might be HSP too. So that's 20% of the population, but 30% of HSPs are actually high sensation seeking and high sensation seeking HSPs. It's like a double-edged sword because you're really, really sensitive, but then you need to engage in these behaviors so that you feel the sensation. So characteristics of high sensation seeking HSPs is- You want me to list them? Yeah, I mean, basically Dax. <laughs> Dax is like, you're really into love adventure Dax. seeking. Love you, alcohol and drugs, love right, adrenaline. Disinhibition, right. Yeah new experiences and then boredom susceptibility is one of the things. Wow. So you are our case test for a HSS HSP. I agree with all those, but, but the only thing I'll add, the only uh, thing that feels maybe anomalous is that I, I don't get bored. I'm not someone that's bored. Now, maybe that's because I'm, I'm busy preventing that, but I, exactly. I, do, I know people that like express that they feel bored and with my kids, I'm, if they say they're bored, I'm like, oh, it's the least attractive quality. What do you want? You want to be friends with someone that's bored or someone who's engaged in pursuing things and going and doing things? Like, what, who would you want to be friends with? Someone that's bored? 
Right. right. But that's interesting that you say that because when I'm not around you, I always picture you just constantly going. Is what you just described, Priyanka, true in most creative people? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So creativity is a really classic hallmark feature of a high sensation seeking HSP. Yeah. But HSPs in general tend to be more of the creative artist types uh, because they're they're more intuitive and, and they need to create in order to kind of channel their sensitivities. Uh-huh. And then that goes hand in hand with everything we're talking about with Dax, which is like injuries that he's suffered through all of these daredevil things that he does, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's you 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 look like the classic kind of phenotypical HSS HSP. And then to your oh, earlier good. I point, I like the look, the stereotype. I want you to be able to judge this book by its cover. <laughs> I don't want anyone to have to labor through reading my whole book. Just take a glance. And yeah. You can- probably figure it I'm out. Wait, I'm waiting for the paperback. <laughs> You're waiting for audio version. <laughs> to your earlier point, Dax, because you, you mentioned the MAO levels. So monoamine oxidase, it's it's a neurotransmitter in the brain. Um, actually, one of the antidepressant categories is monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So they treat that. But um, genetically, it's found that highly high sensation seeking HSP people are found to have lower MAO levels for whatever reason. So it's possible that they're sort of self-treating. They're trying to kind of increase the MAO levels with these types of behaviors. But it also attributes to like, if if someone is HSP and they've had a traumatic childhood, it can be extra devastating because- well, I was gonna yeah. say to Sean, just so he, like the visual you would most understand is the, the thing I saw was a scan of someone's brain with a lot of MAO doing nothing. And, and there's just uh, electricity firing everywhere, right? The, the brain is stimulated in a state of rest. And then the person with no MAO, it's just dead in there. There's no electricity happening. Wow. Is that ADD or ADHD kind of thing too, or no? You know, brain neurochemistry, it's its very nebulous. ADD is a whole different animal in okay. terms of the different brainwave activity. And, you know, there's depression from a brainwave perspective looks very different than an ADD brain. It's very, it's actually very interesting because I was just reading a couple of days ago about how in depression, your frontal lobe activity is affected. And we're actually quite attuned to each other. We can, this is why I think HSPs can pick up, like sometimes when you interact with someone and you know, something's off, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you just know maybe they're down or something, but they did these studies back in the nineties, which I, this study like just blew my mind where they took these infants and they could tell whether or not the mother was depressed just by looking at the brainwave activity of these infants, because they could see that the brainwaves of the infants uh, had decreased frontal lobe activity without even knowing whether the mom was depressed or not, but they could determine which one had a depressed mother based off of that. And so what that's saying, that's evidence that we are actually very attuned energetically to each other. That's part of human nature. Wow. Hypochondriactor is sponsored by Roman. Squeaky doors, clogged sinks, right? Finicky engines. When things break around the house, you take care of it. Why do you wait? But when something's kind of off in the bedroom, wink, wink, you know what I'm saying? You just try not to think about it. This is a medical podcast, so we have to talk about ED, erectile dysfunction, right? Now listen, I have a friend, sounds like a joke, like I'm talking about myself, but I'm not, who uses Get Roman, and he 
swears by it. He says it's the best thing in his life. It's completely changed his life. It gave him all the confidence in the world and he loves using it. So with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. Getting started is super simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash hypo and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash hypo now. You'll get $15 off your first month. It's really time to take care of your ED. And remember, get started today and you'll save 15 bucks on your first order of ED treatment. Can I give you the apex of my life that this, I can detail exactly what you're talking about? Um, I, the disclaimer, I don't go to strip clubs. I genuinely do, do not. I don't want to be a customer in the game of love. I want to go earn some approval. So just, I'm going to stay, say that. I'm That's not right. into that. That's where we first met, but yeah. But yeah, boy, could you dance back in your, <laughs> in your 20s. Oh my and I God. needed gas money, so thank you. I don't know how your body held onto that much oil. Like <laughs> if that much oil would have run off my back like a duck. But well, I'm dry. I've dry skin. Uh, in this in this desperate situation where we were shooting nights in Albuquerque for three months, and you had to keep that schedule on the weekend. The only thing in Albuquerque that was open was strip clubs. So, 16 years ago when I did this movie, I I found that I went with the producers and a few other people from the movie to a strip strip club. I don't know four or five times. We're in there. You know Andrew Panay, Sean. Yes. Uh huh. Love we're sitting it. there talking and John Pisani, we're talking, we're just chatting. And I stand up immediately. Like I just bolt up and I look towards the end of the bar. Andrew goes, what? And I go, there's a fight. Mm. And he goes, what? And he, he like, he looks and then nothing's happening. And I was like, oh my God, I thought, I thought I, there was a fight. I sit down. I swear to God. The next thing I hear is like, fuck me. Fuck you, motherfucker. And two guys stand up at the bar and start swinging. But I was... I'm not, I was like nine seconds ahead of it. Yeah, what does that wow. mean? What does and that I was mean? Like, Holy smokes. So that's an incredible story. So that means you were already energetically picking up on the fight thought vibrations. And you were so sensitive that even in the middle of a strip club, you were able <laughs> yeah. to sense the angry vibrations. Thanks for reminding us we were in a circle. But yeah, there's a lot of stimuli. There, there's like loud music. There's yeah, yeah. new people. It's like there's the shining. Music. I mean, it's almost like ninja-like focus. So your spidey sense is always on. Oh, especially for like physical violence. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm on <laughs> high alert. If we, if I walk into any kind of bar or anything, I can tell you in high 90% which person there is going to get violent. To right. Is this present when you go to the grocery store? Like, uh, are you like, where oh, I go, Sean, everywhere. Really? And, and Dax, just for clarity, growing up, you did witness violence in the tons. Home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that you could also argue that this is an adaptation that you've developed that because you were exposed to violence at such a young age, you learned how to recognize it so you could protect yourself. And so decades yeah. later in a strip club you're able to sense oh there's violence about to erupt yeah it's in the air and and so when i first learned about that mal thing that was in 99 in college and so it was pretty much presented as it was just probably a genetic predisposition but then i read like what happened to you oprah's book or the body keeps the score and now come to find out your brain chemistry is not set in stone so it can alter dramatically based on your childhood so i you know, who knows what I was born with versus what I adapted to now have as brain chemistry.
Right. We agree yeah. with that, Priyanka. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think it's also really important to remember that people who are extra sensitive, they will feel things much more deeply. Yeah. And there's long lasting implications to this. There's a really important study that was done in the 90s out of Kaiser in San Diego called the ACES study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. They basically looked at w- whether or not adverse childhood experiences impact your health. They just looked at health outcomes, like whether people die earlier or whether they get heart disease. And they they divided into various categories, like if there was verbal abuse in the home, you would get a point, physical abuse, if there was contact, sexual abuse, or even if the there was no type of abuse, if anyone in the home was dysfunctional, like if someone in the home had substance abuse issues. Addiction, a parent with mental, mental health illness, issues. Like, or yeah. if someone went to prison, you would each get a point for this. And they found that- The more, right, if you grew up poor, the more points people had, basically their all-cause mortality would go up. So these people had higher rates of having just heart disease or lung cancer or just dying just, or even if they didn't have health issues, they had a much higher rate of just rating their own health as low. So the impact of childhood on health outcomes is completely there's, it's very strong. Now you take that, that's just the basic medical studies out there. And now you add the sensitivity. So you have an individual who's feeling things much more deeply, who's experiencing pain much more intensely, who can mm-hmm. pick up on the, the emotions of others. Mm-hmm. You can, it's a setup for trauma and PTSD. Yeah, I'm so sensitive to all medication. Like give me an aspirin. I'm like, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I, can't, I can feel it in my body. And <laughs> I, like, it's, I, I get overwhelmed just by like, or, or like, Afrin in my nose. I'll do. It. I'm like, oh my god! I just, I think there was something in it. I'm gonna fucking die. For, you know, it's yes. awful. Yes. <laughs> so you know, I personally think you know these sensitive sensitivity. It's part of neurodivergence. Now, typically, when you think of neurodivergence, people think of things like autism or Asperger's. But highly sensitive people are a part of neurodivergence because essentially our brains are processing things differently than a neurotypical brain, mm-hmm. and. I personally think our society needs to do a better job making accommodations for people who are neurodivergent. Or minimally, even if it's not going to be like uh, the equivalent of wheelchair ramps. How about some tools in elementary school? Teaching yeah. self-compassion tools. Yeah, like I can still want people to be self-reliant and self-responsible. But by God, give them a couple tools. Yeah, uh, for set, sure. Sit them down and say like, hey, I'm not going to ask who in this classroom has either a parent away, a mental health, yeah, or blah, right. blah, blah. But because if you do have three of those, you should know you're on this course statistically, right. unless right. you learn this breathing technique. If you learn to re-regulate, if you learn to connect. like Priyanka, let's do that. How do we do that? I'm let's start all for that. it. I am all for I'm this serious. on a social like, justice let's, level. Yes, for sure. we need to incorporate that. That's a great idea, Dex. Yeah. Well, I think there's been this wall historically between, say, talk therapy, where, of course, you focus on your childhood, but that didn't seem to interest biologists so much. Or even this insane thing I can't even believe I learned this year, that you can pass on to your children trauma. And I always heard that. And I was like, that's horseshit. Your, your, your DNA is your DNA. No, but the epigenome that's floating on top of your DNA, that's actually deciding what proteins will get made. That can transfer. So if your epigenome, which is, um, you know, mutated through the course of all this trauma, you can give that to your kids. So is that is that why addiction is hereditary? It can be hereditary. And and looking at addiction, though, addiction is a 
response to trauma. Addiction is a, an attempt to heal underlying trauma. And Dax, the studies you're referring to, many of those studies were done in the Holocaust populations where they were able to identify anxiety was studied a lot in the Holocaust populations. Um, they've done a lot of rat studies as well. With uh, I remember there was one study involving OCD behavior in rats, and they were able to basically predict which um, offspring were going to have more OCD features. Well, then I'm, I'm clearly a rat. <laughs> I think it's just so important to understand that a lot needs to happen. Like a lot can be traumatizing even before a, a person is conceived, right? Yeah, that's and, but to, to tie in the OCD thing, Sean, so, or at least my understanding of this is uh, to Priyanka's point, addiction is about regulation. You don't have the tools to regulate. Your body gets deregulated easier. And this is an attempt to re-regulate. OCD is an attempt to re-regulate. Doing things repetitively, taking control of tiny little minute things, those are attempts at regulation. So it's like right. you have all these different flowers that can grow out of the trauma. And yeah. we think of them all as different kind of diseases. But it's, no, it's just like, how's it going to manifest itself in you? Right, exactly. right, right. Look exactly. At, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> John, can you show yourself out? Priyanka yeah, and I are just—we're kind of—we're kind of like have a thing going, and oh, it's like, well, it's like I, that's how I grew up. Okay. I, I I just wanted to say that since we're we're using the word trauma, like a lot of times when people think of trauma, they think it's something that happened to you. Like trauma isn't just what happened to you when it comes to childhood development. Like, yes, obviously, you know, if there was abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, that all counts. But something can also be traumatic. For example, trauma isn't just what happened to you. It's also the absence of what should have happened to you. So for example, mm -hmm. if there was a, a parent that was busy working or very depressed and they couldn't meet your needs, they may not have hit you, they may not have cussed you out, but they didn't give you what you needed, uh -huh, that right. in and of itself can qualify as a trauma. Is that part of attachment theory, right? Like if they weren't capable to properly give you all the attachment stuff, that, that is stuff then you will have for the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. So you think about our society, right? Like how many people out there are living paycheck to paycheck, stressed about their lives, maybe their jobs, their health care, and they're raising kids. Yeah. And the kids have no idea, but they can sense energetically that mom is stressed. That's how mom I was raised. Sad. Yeah. Exactly. Many people and so you see then how the trauma is actually carried on without actually doing physical harm. Mm -hmm. So while the ACE study is so kind of pivotal in showing us the impact of trauma on our health, it, it's just the tip of the iceberg because there are so many different ways people can be traumatized. Um, I do want to, Dax, I do want to get to two things that I found fascinating, um, which is your shoulder injury and then re-injuring the shoulder. And then I also want to get to talk about amnesia because I've never known anyone in my whole life who's had amnesia. And oh. I want to know what that was like and blah, blah, blah. So, but let's start. So do the shoulder first because I'm, you know, I'm fascinated. You, how did you break your shoulder? Okay, well, I've had three shoulder surgeries. So about 20 years ago, I was riding a dirt bike down this hill. It was waist high grass. Someone had like fell a dozen trees and stacked them up. They were just under the, the, the length of the grass. And so I hit that, went over the handlebars and had an AC separation where the tendons that hold your clavicle down all snapped. So right, it was yeah. raised quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I didn't have insurance. I was in the ground lanes at the time. 
I went to UCLA Harbor, got on a wait list, had to prep for surgery twice because you show up and maybe they'll get to you. Cross your fingers, um, yeah. Ultimately so grateful that that happened, like that they they did that. And so I, that was my first one. And then last year during quarantine, I was at the motorcycle track. Same thing. I'm like passing a bunch of people on the inside. Someone turns in early. I clip the back of their thing. I go over the handlebars. Um, and this time I break the clavicle in three different pieces. All the tendons. Stay. Other shoulder. Yes. Other shoulder. My left shoulder. Yeah. The clavicle breaks into three distinct pieces. And then I break some ribs in my hand and some uh -huh. other stuff. It was like a bag of bones. It was. And I mean, do you want to hear the whole story is I did it. I had driven all the way to um, uh, Sonoma to go to this track. It was the first session. I was so mad. I had lugged all my stuff up there. So I rode three more sessions. I'm like, oh, oh it's, it hurts. It's sore. I rode three more sessions. Then I drove, wow. then I drove home to Los Angeles for seven hours. Then the next morning I wake up and I, we have to go to uh, my daughter's like little one person graduation from preschool. Cause it's quarantine. And we're sitting there and the whole time my wife's like, when are you going to the doctor? When you, I'm like, I'm fine. There's, they can't do anything for a clavicle, blah, blah. And we're in the middle of that ceremony. I go, I think I'm going to go over to Cedars and just see what's happening. Aww. And so I went to Cedars yeah, and then every person that came in told me about more broken bones. So it turned out, yeah, I had a lot of broken wow. stuff. It's so painful. Yes. You must have a very high pain threshold then. I was going to say, because here's the thing. One of the many differences between me and Dax, which is make, makes me love him so much, is if, if I have a hangnail, I'm like, oh, I recognize my body's talking to me. My body's yeah. telling me, oh, you, this, you should put like something, maybe put a little Neosporin on there and put, wrap it up. Yeah. And whereas you are just like, eh, I broke my freaking collarbone. Mm -hmm. I can still probably make it. Let's let's see how long I can go with it. I mean, we listen to our bodies differently. It, it was it was like 110, and I was just too hot to ride anymore. But yes, I think I have a I do think I have a high pain threshold, but also I have a very loud voice in my head that is that was your fault, so mm. you're guilty, so you must push through this. Um, weakness is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Whatever mental anguish I get from being weak is far less than the physical pain of right. being in pain. So right. it's all tied into a bunch of bad stuff, but alas, yeah. here I am. This is how I am. I'm not like putting on a show for anyone. It just, yeah. it happens. I go, Oh, you fucking idiot. You should have known that guy was going to turn in early, but you drove all the way up here. You're not just riding one session. Uh, get back out there. Like there's a whole prep talk that goes into it. Wow. Yeah. And then I come home and of course, I'm embarrassed. I have this hobby. I'm 46. I shouldn't have this hobby. And now I come home injured. So I don't really want to acknowledge that I might be out of the, 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 <laughs> the parenting racket for a couple of weeks. So that's in the mix. You know, there's just a lot going on mentally. And I, for me, I'd rather have a bunch of pain than admit I, I blundered. Yeah, that I'm imperfect. which is crazy. Right, which is a very human kind of reaction. Yeah, like if I feel like if I'm going to take on this hobby and my wife's going to allow me to do it, the last thing I have the right to do anymore is to it's be injured or complain. Or yeah, be yeah, in, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, so you did that. So I, I go and they put, a, they put a plate in, right? Yeah. So they put a plate and they, 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 attach, they, they get the clavicle all in one piece. It's a great surgery. It's a success. And then about three months later, I'm riding to the attic on my electric bicycle. It's like 630 in the morning. It's dark. I come up over a hill. There's a car in the middle of the road. So oh I have God. to swerve to the right. And now that there's a parked car immediately where I have swerved to not get in a head-on accident. Wow. I have to lock the back brake and then slide under the car. It's like a stunt out of uh, chips. And I get up and I'm like, and I landed on my left shoulder. Aye, and I was aye, like, aye. Oof, oh, that oh, hurt. Wow. And then I just... 
that's the last time I think about it. I, I'm not going to allow myself to think about the fact that here I've done it again. And so you go back in. I ignore it for a couple months. Wow. Till I have some very visible swelling above where the plate is. And finally, my yeah. wife's like, you have got to go see what is ah, going it's on. No big deal. Dax says, ah, no big deal. And then it becomes like part up to your ear, swollen up to your ear. Ah, it's no big deal. No worries. <laughs> There's a very little restriction of breathing. I can get through wow. this. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, so okay. I, I go in and Dr. Uh, Della Majaro comes in and he shows me an x-ray and he says, you have broken all of the hardware out of that plate. God. What happened? And I go, oh man, it must've been this bike accident. He's like, when, when did that happen? I wish you would have turned it around and said, I don't think I broke it. I don't think you put it on strong enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't, I took the route of just telling him, yeah, this happened two months ago. And he's like, well, I don't, he's like, okay, we have to, we have to do this surgery like immediately. And I'm like, well, I'm filming top gear. I'm not going to be off for another two months. And he's like, when do you have a two week break? I'm like, I don't ever have a two week break. I'm currently on a 10 day break. He mm-hmm. goes, okay, well, we'll have to take that. The very next day I go in and get wow. a whole new plate, much bigger, longer. While he's in there, he discovers what he thinks might be an infection. Aye, aye, so, aye. so when I think I'm going in there for this new plate, but the night before he's like, you know what? I'm actually going to have to also take a, uh, some bone out of your hip to put into that mm-hmm. clavicle because I'm afraid it's not going to heal without that. So I get a bone transplant. I wake up at Cedars like, oh, Kristen's going to pick me up in an hour. And he's like, no, no, you're, you're here for the night now. Um, I think there was an infection in there. We got to look at it. We got to monitor it, blah, blah, blah. I leave there with a pick line to put oh, wow. antibiotics in. And, uh, he calls me like, I don't know, six days later. And he's like, uh, yeah, it's growing in the Petri dish. So it is an infection. So you're oh going to have to have this pick line now for a couple months of put an antibiotic in. I have a little scar. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. So this, this entered there and then it goes all the way over above your heart. It's like oh a my God. two, two yeah. feet of food. Wow. And anyways, that becomes great because my little girls are administering it to me and they're flushing the line <laughs> uh-huh. and like they're getting a kick out of that. It's all, <sighs> you know, it's annoying, but blah, blah, blah. Throughout this whole process, I never talk to the infectious disease doctor. I'm always dealing with my uh, Dr. Del. He's talking to him and blah, blah, blah. Well, finally, I get on the phone with him towards the end of the pick line thinks I want it out of my arm. Yeah. And I said, where did that infection come from? Like did, 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 did like the, the plate break and then some, some tissue got damaged and then it became necrotic and that, and he's like, yeah, no, 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 how no. did that happen? He said that infection was 100% from the first surgery, whether there was something on the device itself. So you've been living with that for, for that long? Well, this is what's bonkers, uh, Sean. I was so depressed to have to go in and have that thing rebuilt all over again. Well, I just had gotten over the last one and I'm in the middle of filming. But after talking to the infectious disease doctor, he's like, that would have that would have shown itself eventually, eventually and probably right. in a much ser- more serious manner where you would have gone septic inexplicably oh, and wow. then gone to the doctor and we had to figure all this out. Wow. So that second accident was the best thing that ever happened. Truly, 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 truly. Where I was like, I can't believe that. Thank God I crashed the bike and we yeah. discovered the infection. Where are, where are you now with all this bike riding stuff? Are you done? Who Come knows? On. I just ordered a new track motorcycle. New oh race my Lord. Yeah. I know. I know. You're open about how you were addicted to opioids after 
that surgery. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, as someone that's been through recovery, you know. Wait, you're sober? I am sober. Yeah. I, oh, hot dog. Yeah. Congrats. I like sober people. <laughs> I do too. You know, I'm curious in terms of how it snuck up on you like that. Well, I did this episode on the podcast called Day 7 where I walk you through the whole thing. And I'm at the point where I feel weird talking about it because now it sounds like a story I would tell on a talk show. It's starting to feel like okay, it didn't start that day. It started year eight of sobriety with another injury where I took medicine and I did it in a way that I knew wasn't legit, but I did have a prescription and blah, blah, blah. It was a very slippery, increasing slope that culminated, that that hit critical mass when I had two back-to-back surgeries and had tons of opiates and then said, fuck it, we're going to just stay on these when this is over. No, I can just say, you know, like there's all kinds of ways to be tricky within sobriety. There's so much gray area. I think that tons of sober people wrestle with and it, and it, doesn't feel like there's a super safe place to explore those in meetings with the weight of, oh my God, have I lost my long-term sobriety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know there's people who have sleep problems and they take Ambien. You know, that's a little gray. Uh, and how do you take the Ambien? Uh, right, some people right. have All that, yeah. uh, anxiety flying. Should they take Xanax? How much should they take? You know, there's these areas. I've had a bunch of surgeries. I get opiates. You know, how am I taking them? Am I, you know, I have my wife, hand them out, but am I not taking the nighttime one so I can have double in the morning? That's pretty shady. Yeah, but you just I yeah it's, all that going out to a bar and drinking. So right. you know, that, you're just moving the goalpost right until all right. of a sudden you kind of wake up and you're like, oh, I take eight thirties a day before four mm-hmm. and right. I'm gonna have a real hardcore dis- detox like in the movies. Like that's right. ahead of me. Right. Right. And I think also it's important to note, you know, especially in mental health treatments, more and more treatments are coming out. And I think for me, like, for example, uh, um, the psychedelic research that's coming out for specifically addiction issues. Um, I'm involved Mm -hmm. with the psilocybin trials over at UCSF. And, you know, historically, these were things that were written off as like, you know, they're scheduled drugs and you shouldn't and bad, just say no. But now you're seeing things that have completely like people will, for example, treat heroin addiction with Ibogaine or um, they can treat uh, alcoholism with ayahuasca and stuff like that. And there's lots of literature about this. And so, you know, to your point, Dax, that it's, it's not so completely clear, right? So in in the sense, like it's, it's not completely nuanced in terms of like, you know, someone can say that they're sober, but like, what does that mean exactly for them? And, and, you know, any addiction, right? Like we all have addictions. It's just a question of if those addictions are causing harm. Yeah. Is there wreckage? Is there lies? Is there secrecy? Is there shame? Is there all these things that are not good? That's what's interesting about like SLA. SLA, you create your own, I forget the term, but you create your own definition of sobriety if you're in sex and love addiction. Anonymous. For some people, it might be like no prostitutes. That's their bottom line. So they're sober if they don't get prostitutes. Other people, it's no inappropriate texting. Some people, it's no masturbation. You know, you get to kind of define your goal. And I'm not saying AA should adopt that. I'm just saying AA differs in that way where... You know what I thought you said? I'm not saying Hayes should adopt that. (laughs) <laughs> but look, I'm open to it. Listen, I, you know, I don't want to keep you. I, next time you're on, I want to talk about the amnesia thing because that's fascinating to me. I can tell that to you in a nutshell. Okay, mm-hmm. tell me in a nutshell because I love it. 
Oh, ironically, this ties into the first shoulder thing. So while I was awaiting uh, a surgery at UCLA Harbor, I went back to Michigan for my mom's birthday. I went out on a boat with my friend Dean uh, to ostensibly for them to wakeboard. And while I was on the boat, he said, why don't you go out? And I was like, well, I only have one arm. He's like, yeah, you can do it with one arm. It's fine. I, I, I wakeboard with one arm all the time. I'm like, all right. So I'm wakeboarding with one arm and I catch an edge and I kind of catapult down and just hit face first on the water. I crash. Dean circles the boat around, picks me up. I get in the boat. He goes, oh, that looked pretty rough. And I'm like, yeah, I just feel like I got punched in the face. I, I'm not worried. I sit down in the boat. I'm with a, his friend who I just met that day. So he starts driving the boat. Now Dean is being towed. And about 10 minutes into that, I grab the guy's shoulder and I say, who are you? No and way. He's like, I'm, I'm Mike. I'm Dean's friend. And I go, where the fuck am I? Because in my mind, I'm like, there's no lakes in California. He's wow. like, you're in. I'm like, why am I on a boat right now? So he stops the boat. Dean comes in. Uh, I don't know where I'm at, why I'm on a boat. I don't know this person. Dean quickly recognizes, oh, we probably need to get him to the hospital. Take, they take me to my mother. My mother and Bree, my ex-girlfriend, take me to the emergency room. And on the car ride to the emergency room, I said, what am I doing in Michigan? I was oh, you came for my birthday. Uh, and I go, oh, why can't I remember that? And she goes, because you hit your head wakeboarding, but we're on the way to the hospital. And I say... Oh, so it's like that episode of Gilligan's Island. I just need to get hit in the head with a coconut again and I'll have my memory. No laughs. No, no laughs. laughs. I say that and there's no laughs. And I everybody think that, was nervous. That, that's weird. That's a kind of funny joke in the middle of clearly we're having an emergency. Mm. And I say, have I said that before? And my mom goes, yeah, hon, about 20 times. <gasps> no So way. every time I would go through the loop, I would find my way back to this B plus Joke. <laughs> like, how well, that's your default, the B plus joke. Well, that's the only understanding of amnesia is from the episode of Gilligan's Island. Wait, but Dax, do you, so you remember not remembering? No. Well, now I do. Now everything from that whole 14-hour period I had, it was recording, but in that 14-hour period, it wasn't. Like that's I couldn't so access crazy. it. So I was on a five-minute loop that I just kept asking, where am I at? Why am I here? Why don't I know? Blah, blah, blah. Gilligan's wow. Island. We get to the hospital. This is the funny part of the story. We check in and they ask, where do you work? And I, at the, I don't think I have a job. And I, I go, I, I don't have a job. My mom goes, no, you work at MTV. And I go, I work at MTV. She mm -hmm. goes, yeah. And you have a show on MTV called punk. I turned to, to Brie and I go, I have a show on MTV. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And I go, what happened at the Growlings? What, what happened to that? And my mom goes, you were in the Sunday company for a year. I was like, I made it to the Sunday company. I, and then they told me I graduated from UCLA. They gave me the three best pieces of news that had happened in it's like so seven years, all in the lobby. I was so happy. It's similar to like, without making a joke, but it's similar to Alzheimer's, no? Like, is that affect the same part of the brain as, as dementia or Alzheimer's if you're kind of repeating the same thing over and over and you can't remember anything? The short answer is that they are completely different processes, Alzheimer's and transient amnesia. It is conceivable. What I understand about Alzheimer's right, is you get plaque buildup in your brain, which prevents certain areas from your of your brain Firing. from connecting. Right. 
And I, so when you get a concussion, your brain swells up. And in that inflammation, I think that then too starts cutting off corridors and pathways uh-huh. for neurons to communicate. But but specifically for transient amnesia, I'm not completely sure which part of the brain is actually like hijacked temporarily. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I go, I get a scan. It's not lethal. I'm not bleeding. My brain finally unswells. I start remembering all the times I asked, blah, blah, blah. Now it's time to leave the hospital. And we walked out and it was two in the morning. And if I had to guess at that moment, I would have said that entire episode had taken like two hours. I was expecting to walk out in it to be 3 p.m. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, speaking of memory, we're going to test your memory right now, Dax, with a little game. It's super fun. Dax, we play a game on the show. It's called Dr. Wally's Hall of Fame, and it's a rapid fire question answer. You get three questions, and if you don't get it right, I'll give you some points for creativity. Okay. Okay. Sean, you're going first. Okay. Ready. Okay. Bob Fosse won a Tony Award and an Oscar for directing Cabaret. In the same year, he won an Emmy for directing what? Sure, the the gay questions. Uh, Let me see. Uh, he won an Emmy in the same year for... Don't, don't type. Well, I see your hands going to type. No, I'm not typing. Hands up, You've everyone. Uh, 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 he he won an Emmy that year for, I don't know. Uh, uh, jazz singer. Ma- oh, uh, jazz singer. That's my answer. Uh, no, that's a movie. And I mean, he was directing the, the Muppets dancing. The Muppets well, dance. Liza uh, with a Z. Oh, of course. Liza with a Z. Okay. With a Z. Second question for Sean. Yeah. What physiologic phenomenon is responsible for the sound of a heartbeat? A physiological phenomenon. Yeah, like what's happening that's creating the sound of a heartbeat? Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, it's the it's the blood moving through the chambers. Yeah. Ooh, very close, but incorrect. So the actual heartbeat sound is made by the closing of the heart valve. I kind of said that. That's kind of what I meant. That's kind of what I meant. Half a point. Half a point. In med school, they teach us the heart. The heartbeat sound is a lub dub sound. Lub dub, lub dub, and lub. Uh, the first lub dub is the closing of the mitral and tricuspid valves, and the second lub dub yeah. is the closing of the aortic and pulmonic valves. Well, according to Huey Lewis, it's the heart of rock and roll that's yes. Still okay, yeah, you know what? Half point for creativity because you really pushed that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, final question for Sean on the children's television show Sesame Street. What are Cookie Monsters cookies made of? And I'll give you a hint: they're not cookies. You mean like what's the prop made out of? Yeah, what it what is yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, plastic? I don't know. Who that would know that? That is incorrect. They are actually painted rice cakes. Oh, that's why they crumble so easily. Exactly. That's yeah. genius. They didn't want to use real cookies because the oil from the real cookies would get on the costumes. So right, okay. right, genius. Half point, Sean, as his total score. Dax, it's now your really, turn. Really, but can I just say I did not realize that the rules of the game were that those questions were for Sean first, so. I apologize for for intruding with jazz singer. Oh, that is totally okay, Dax. Please ruin one of mine if you'd like (laughs) to make it fair. Okay, here we go. Dax, in season six of the television show Parenthood, your character Crosby crashes his motorcycle while his father is in the hospital. What body part does he injure in the crash? It's like art imitating life. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's, I mean, I should know that. Clearly, I probably... Had a fake cast on or something. <laughs> or a real one. Or a sling. Well, I'm going to go arm. 
he actually says he bruises his ribs, or oh. technically it would be a chest wall contusion. But you he don't says, remember that? Uh, bru- it's just a bruised ribs. That was and- your character. Can I tell you exactly what I remember about that? Yeah. The week before that scene where I crashed the motorcycle, I suggested let's do a scene with razors. As you know, uh, Sean, that's my big hobby is off-roading in these little off-road vehicles. Sure. They said, that's great. We go to the track. Craig T. Nelson and I are going to drive razors. Turnout. Network said it's too dangerous. So then they put the stuntmen in them. The stuntmen crash all the razors. They roll them. They mess them all up. It's a disaster. The next week, they say you're riding a motorcycle in a rain with no helmet on the PCH. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm driving this old rickety uh, hand-built motorcycle with terrible brakes. In the rain. Terrible old tires. Wow. In the rain on the PCH going 60 without a helmet. I'm like, where is the consistency <laughs> here? The other thing was in a roll cage with a helmet. This yeah. is by far the most dangerous. This is more dangerous than riding on the trail. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, wow, my own wild. grievance is all I thought about. And by the way, that that you made it out alive. That was no no injuries on that one. Everything was. Yeah, yeah of, of course. The sure. conditions were worse, but the outcome was better. <laughs> all right. Question two. Hair and nails are made of the same protein-based substance. What is that protein called? Keratin. Yeah, that is correct. Excellent. One point. Leaps into the lead with a half point advantage. You've already won, basically. (laughs) You're the winner. You've won. And let's interrupt this. I mean, now this is just for extra credit. The food product spam is a mashup of what two words? Ham and sperm. (laughs) Ham and spreadable. It's spice and ham. Spice ham. Yeah. It should be spread because you can spread that meat product, can't you, with a butter knife? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's good. Let's re- we'll, we'll get on that. Dax, you won. Oh. You won. What a pleasure. It's just absolute pleasure. I would love to talk to you more about all this lovely stuff. He is open. Now, Sean, I've never felt like you were stealing my shit, but the fact that you're in business now with a genius Indian She's amazing. Female. Yeah. It is a little on the nose. (laughs) What do you mean it's on the nose? Well, Monica and I do the same thing. But she's not Indian, is she? Yes. Yes, Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. No, because Priyanka's North Indian. Is that accurate? Kashmir. Yeah. Yeah, Kashmir. Yeah. And Monica's Southern Indian. Oh, look at that. So more, more probably stereotypical. What? us honkies with no diversity. Here's here's how I look at it. I'm not stealing anything from you. We're both blessed. You're both very blessed to have very strong women of color guiding your asses on these podcasts. By the way, both clearly, clearly smarter than both me and Dax are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Daxel, thank you. I love you. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy. Yeah, it's so fun. I love Love you very much. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was... How did, how did you experience that, Sean? I mean, I loved it, but... Look, I feel so lucky knowing him because I get all of that juicy brain knowledge and power and insight like on a daily basis because we talk all the time. Yeah. But, um, but I love Dax. He's, he's such a good human being and always filled with such knowledge. I mean, he's so yeah. knowledgeable. He's so smart. And what I loved about that interview is that he just goes to the heart of the matter. Yeah. I mean, he just cuts through all the bull crap Open and you book. just get to the straight kind of meat of what, what the real issues are, which yeah. from my perspective, I, I couldn't get more of. Yeah. Well, I love him. I could talk to him for hours. Thanks for listening, guys. That's our show today. Don't worry. Be healthy. Bye. Bye. 
Hypochondriactor is a Hazy Mills production hosted by me, Sean Hayes, and Dr. Priyanka Wally. Michael Grant-Terry and Todd Milliner are our executive producers. Rebecca Eisenberg is our producer. Production and editing is by Rabbit Grin Productions. And original music by Scott Isonoble and Lior Rosner. This is a Hazy Mills production. All content discussed on Hypochondriactor are the individual opinions of Dr. Priyanka Wally and Sean Hayes and should not be construed as personalized medical advice. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast.